listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. Hey, this is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on another episode of the Rainmaking Podcast. What if you could become more influential just based on how you communicate to your clients and prospects, even if that was done via video cam? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Our expert is truly an expert on that. Her name is Kara Hale Alter. She's an international keynote speaker, author, and the founder of Speech Skills. She literally wrote the book on projecting credibility and confidence, the critically acclaimed The Credibility Code. She's delivered more than a 1,000 keynotes, seminars, and workshops on leadership presence to audiences around the globe, and I've seen her several times. She's magnificent. In addition to providing training to clients such as Google, Pixar, Intel, Pinterest, Schwab, Kaiser Permanente, and numerous top 100 law firms, Kara is also a guest lecturer at UC Hastings College of the Law, Stanford Law School, and the UCLA School of Law. I hope you get some great ideas from Kara today. I've got with me on the Rainmaking Podcast a good friend of mine, Kara Hale Alter. And Kara, I'm excited to have you on the show with me today. Oh, I'm excited to be here. Thanks. And Kara, I've seen you speak before. You're masterful. I've seen you speak at several conferences. Your book is great. Your content is awesome. And what we talked about before about all the live trainings that you do, everything kind of changed with the crisis. And now people that are professional communicators, people involved in rainmaking, now they have to use the webcam to establish credibility and build reports, something probably none of them have done before. Uh, so I wanted to talk about that. But first, tell us about your journey. What did you start in professionally and how did you end up to where you are today as a coach and a trainer and a speaker? Well, I've always been a performer. As a matter of fact, when I was growing up, I thought that that would be my, my arena. And I did a lot of musicals and stage work. But I also studied speech communications and I found that especially nonverbal communication was really very interesting to me. And especially how actors can very reliably portray character traits. And I wondered, well, is there, is there commonality there? Is it possible that certain behaviors lead to a very predictable character assessments? And could we reverse engineer this? Interesting. So if you, yeah. If you wanted to come across as confident, are there character traits that, that very predictably lead to those assumptions? And so the more I got into my career in acting, the more I actually became fascinated by the psychology of it, as opposed to the actual job of getting out there on stage and basically cataloging what are these status behaviors that we're, that we're responding to with someone that we would consider to have leadership presence. What are, what are those behaviors? And, and can we, as I said, reverse engineer so that we can do those things on purpose? Well, that's great. That's good in our world where our job is gaining the trust of high-level prospects, C-suite executives, where we have to sell our services and move those relationships forward and do it in a way that's sincere and authentic. So what would you define when you say visible credibility? What is that exactly? Well, great. I work in an, an arena that most people find very intangible or they think it's intangible because we, we don't quite have words to describe it. Sometimes it's called leadership presence or personal gravitas mm-hmm. or an air of confidence. So I specifically use the term visible credibility, and, and that's your ability to project confidence and competence 
so that other people can immediately recognize your value and your expertise. That's great. So it's almost like these are nonverbal cues that we're telegraphing to them to say that we are worthy of building and earning that trusting relationship. But what, what do you think some of those cues are? Well, as it turns out, there are some nonverbal communication cues that have a disproportionately positive impact on your appearance of visible credibility. Mm-hmm. And to be as, as really as straightforward as possible, strong posture, strong voice, and strong eye contact, these are three pillars that tend to increase this, this appearance of visible credibility, of confidence. Say, say those again. Strong posture. I'm sitting up as you're saying this. Okay, strong posture. Okay, and what was the other one? (laughs) Yes, strong voice. Right, okay. And strong eye contact. Got it, great. And as it turns out, most people, I know that that's common knowledge. People have heard that information before, but most people severely underestimate just how powerful these tools are in establishing visible credibility. And also, most people tend to overestimate their ability to do these things well. And primarily because when we are thinking about posture, eye contact, strong voice, we can do them well. Mm -hmm. But the real test is whether or not those are habits that follow you around in every situation. And and that's where that visible credibility will come from. So tell me about this then. Let's kind of go down that path a little bit. When you say habits, what do you mean by that? And how do you develop habits and posture, voice, and eye contact? Right. Well, you know this theory of going from unconsciously incompetent to to unconsciously competent. Mm -hmm. And that with any skill that you take on, with any habit, we tend to start out with being unconsciously incompetent, which means we we don't even know that we don't know. Mm -hmm. We are oblivious to that particular behavior. And then we become consciously incompetent, which is we realize, oh, I'm I'm not quite as good at this as I as I thought. Then one can become consciously competent, which when you're thinking about it, you can do it well. And then finally, unconsciously competent. You don't even have to think about it and you do it well. Well, when it comes to these skills, most people, for example, with posture, you can immediately be consciously competent, right? The second you mentioned it yourself, Mm -hmm. that you, you sat up and that's great, but it takes up brain space to be consciously competent. So when the stakes are high, when the conversation is really important, the idea that you have to be conscious about coming across at your best gets in the way of processing the words you have to say and paying attention to the person across from you. So you want to get these skills, these, these behaviors into that unconsciously competent zone. And the best way to do that, of course, is to practice, to put in the practice time, get to the other side of the learning curve. Right. So, but we're in the age of COVID. We can all let ourselves go. We don't have to, right? We don't, we don't have to, you know where I'm going with this. And you know that now we've got this technology medium that we have to go through with the cam on our computers, or, or some people get a cam on their phone or whatever they do. And it's different. I had one candidate, one partner uh, said that he rinsed with uh, Listerine before he had his video conference interview because he, he just had that habit. Tell me about this. When people are talking about on webcam or or when they're talking on webcam, they're communicating with clients and prospects. Do those same rules apply for those three areas that you talked about with posture, voice, and eye contact? Some of them do and some of them don't, depending 
on whether camera on, camera off. But let's take strong posture, for example. Okay. And when you have camera on, yes, your posture matters. And you want to have a strong spine and literally a level head. You want to make sure that you're not bouncing around or fidgeting. So that's what strong posture would mean on Got it. Okay. But additionally, because of that particular medium, there are other things you want to pay attention to. We are currently saying that your, your framing is the new posture. So how you frame yourself in the camera makes a big difference. And I have seen now, I've been in many, many meetings virtually over the last 10 weeks. And I would say that most people don't pay as much attention to their framing as, as they could. Framing would mean you want your, the camera of your laptop or your screen to be at eye level. Okay. I love then you want to make sure that you are visible from the top of your head to about your rib cage. Okay. So that you're getting a comfortable across the table look. You want to make sure that there's not a lot of empty head space above your head where the, nothing can be seen. So mm-hmm. that you're truly filling the frame. And as I mentioned, you want the camera to be at eye level so that you look like you are looking straight at the person you're speaking to, as opposed to looking up or looking down. So you come across as literally level-headed when you're speaking. That's so funny. I was doing a test with the candidate on Monday of this week. He had a video interview on Tuesday, and he doesn't do a lot of that. He's new at this. And I told him, I said, when you see me and you see my image, move that as as high as you can to the top of your computer so it looks like you're looking at me instead of looking down. Are there any other tips related to that that you'd suggest to people in terms of eye contact on webcam? Absolutely. So it's really eye contact that has the the biggest difference in terms of what you might do in person and what you do on webcam. Because in person, it's in sync. When you are looking at someone, they can tell that you're looking at them. You can read their signals and make eye contact with them at the same time. Mm -hmm. But on webcam, as everyone well knows now, that in order to look at the person you're speaking to, their image may be somewhere else on the screen as opposed to the camera. Right. If if you're looking at the camera, you look like you're looking at them. But if you're looking at their image on the screen, you look like you're looking someplace else. So the, the best way you can get the best of both worlds is to, as you said, move the thumbnail of the person you're speaking to as close to that camera as possible. Right. And then also, I tend to scale the Zoom window so that the individual is not huge and taking up a great deal of my screen. Oh, but I see. they're a little, little bit smaller, so that way the differentiation between where their eyes are and the camera is just a little bit less. That's a good idea. What about for voice? What recommendations for voice with the webcam? What do you recommend in that regard? Well, one of the problems that I see regarding voice is that people will speak with the volume that would be appropriate to the distance between them and their laptop, which is usually about a foot or a foot and a half. And what that means is their voice tends to come across as a little bit weak and unsupported. So in order to be at your best on webcam, you should really think about speaking as if you're talking to someone five feet away or the distance across a conference room table. That would bring out not only the right volume for the situation, but also more richness of your voice. And and I'll give a quick example. Sure. 
So I'm going to pull back on my voice right now, and I'm really talking with a soft voice directly to the screen in front of me, but it sounds kind of breathy. But right now I'm speaking to that distance of five feet away. So you're getting more resonance, more fullness, more support. And that support in your voice is what cements that quality of leadership presence. Interesting. You have strength. That's great. So it's nice to know that even though it's virtual, we're on webcam, we can still project that confidence, that gravitas. Yes, absolutely. And it can, it, as I said, strong posture, strong voice, strong eye contact. And you might have to adjust the rules a little bit because you have this, this virtual medium. So what are there any pitfalls or mistakes, easy ones that we can avoid when we're communicating on webcam? Oh, absolutely. So one of the issues that happens on webcam is I'm sure you may have experienced this yourself. It's being called Zoom fatigue or (laughs) video conference fatigue. And it's essentially that we, by spending so much time in this virtual medium, we we are more exhausted than if we had been spending that time in person with someone on the other side. The psychology of this, the research on this says that one reason that happens is that we are feeling stared at, that we as human beings, being, being stared at is a very uncomfortable thing for your limbic brain, your, your right. lizard brain. Because in the animal world, being singled out was a very dangerous thing. <laughs> it is a very dangerous thing. So when we feel that we're being stared at constantly, even if your cognitive brain understands that, that it's just a, a virtual medium, mm-hmm. your primitive brain is still sending out a lot of stress hormones. So the mistake that I see so often is that people get too close to the camera, that they basically crowd the camera, which tends to increase that feeling of being that someone's in your personal space or you're being stared down. So I would say the easiest quick fix here is make sure that you are framed in such a way that you look like you're sitting across the conference room table. Great. And that would mean from the top of your head to about your rib cage so that you're, you're just not putting too much stress on the person you're speaking to. Those are easy fixes. This is great, Kara. So tell me then, as we're talking with our clients and our client prospects and any sort of interaction, our goal in our communication would be to move that relationship forward. To do that, we have to build trust. Tell us about building trust virtually. How on earth do we do that? What should we pay attention to on webcam? What are some thoughts that you have in that area? Well, there are two types of trust, which is cognitive trust and affective trust. Okay. And and cognitive trust is your intellectual trust about somebody, things you might learn about someone from their resume or their job title or their experience. But affective trust is your social trust or your emotional trust of someone. Mm. And that is whether or not we think someone is a good citizen or whether the person you're speaking to has your best interest at heart and can see the world from your perspective. Wow. Under stress, we rely more heavily on our affective trust than cognitive trust. In other words, if we believe the person has our best interest at heart, that that will overcome a lack of cognitive trust. The reason why I bring this up regarding webcam is that the, the important element of affective trust is that you give the message that you can see it from their point of view. 
And so people who aren't aware of their lighting, of their background, of the framing that they're, that they're using when they're in on webcam, there's a very subtle message there that you either can't see it from somebody else's point of view, or you actually don't care about someone else's point of view. So one reason to make sure you're coming across at your best in webcam isn't just that you look good, it's that it builds more of that effective trust, that you're acknowledging that your, your image has an impact on the person you're speaking to. So that's interesting. I like what you said. I've never even thought of it like that before, about that the effective trust will, I guess, become the overarching area that we fall back to. It's interesting. One of our previous guests, Cole Silver, he is the client development officer for Blank Rome, a big law firm. He said that if you do these two things for clients, you'll have clients for life. Number one of them is solve their problem. The other one is where they feel really good about working with you. I think just that emotional context of that. So what do we do? Do we, is there anything we can do with our webcam skills so we can build more effective trust? How, how do we improve those skills? Well, I would say get an outside view of yourself. When I am coaching someone on webcam, I will mimic what they are doing. So, of course, I start the meeting in what I hope will be best practices in terms of my framing, my lighting, my background. But at some point, I will show them what they look like from my perspective. And often that means crowding the camera, looking off into maybe a corner to make eye contact. And the person is relatively unaware that that's how they were coming across on the other side. So I would encourage the listeners to make sure to get an outside view of themselves. And one way you can do that is get permission in the next meeting that you have that would be on virtual webcam and get permission to record it so that you go back and see, okay, what did your image look like from the other side? That's a great idea. So let me ask you then, we all know that we're making these character assessments about other people in a short time. It's instant. Uh, How does that work and how much control do we have over the assessments that other people make about us, especially virtually? Hmm. Well, first, let's talk about how these assessments are made. What's interesting, when when we are interacting with someone, on a very basic level, the most basic level, we have a feeling that we either like the person or dislike, we feel safe or we don't feel safe, we trust them or we don't trust them. If you ask someone to identify why they they came up with that feeling, most people can go one level deeper and they will be able to acknowledge a, a character trait. Well, she she just seemed so warm and friendly. Or, well, she seemed kind of arrogant and distant. But if you ask people to go one level deeper and identify, well, why did you get that impression? Why did you come up with that assessment? Most of us are a little hazy there. That's, that's where we're, we're unaware of the observable cue or the behavior that led us to that assessment. And yet it is that, that behavior or the observable cue, that's where our, our power lies to, to change and to, to be able to cultivate visible credibility. And if, if you don't mind, I'll give a quick example. Sure, sure, please. Up to this point, I have been in my conversation with you primarily using downward inflections because that's the way I usually speak. But if I were to change that behavior and start using these upward inflections, it's possible that in the back of your mind, you'd begin to make a character assessment about me. Yep. 
and that I'm not as quite as mature as I was sounding a minute ago. Well, the only thing that I changed there was a straightforward behavior, which is I used upward inflections instead of downward inflections. But that behavior can have a huge impact on your assessment of my character. That's right. Am I going to give you the business or not? Exactly. And so the more that we can drill down to that, that next level deeper, which is not to stick with an assessment of character, but okay, what is the observable cue that is leading to either this positive assessment or this negative assessment? That's where you have the opportunity to take control over your image. That's great. I love that. What is the observable cue? I like the fact that you're using game theory. You're looking at what are those variables that cause people to make that instant decision about us? Can I trust you? And of course, we have to be congruent. We have to have that real value. But also, I'd say in business, there's a little bit of showmanship involved. And you agree with me. That's what your whole business is about, is letting those people that might have, I wouldn't want to call them defects, but maybe let's call them ineffective habits in terms of communication. It's not letting their full potency shine through to their prospects. So I like how you're able to find out what are the answers to the test. This is how they're going to come to these conclusions about you. You've already got the goods. Let's give you some habits that can help them see how powerful you really are in terms of how you communicate. So I think that's a brilliant strategy. Yes, absolutely. So many people have everything they need to succeed, which is they are are educated, they have expertise in some area, and they also have a drive to have more influence and take on a bigger role. But something may be holding them back where they get feedback that they're not assertive enough or not approachable enough or too aggressive or too nice, but they're stuck with that assessment and they don't know what they need to change to get that elusive quality that might help them move to the next level. Right. And so I just, I push my clients to ask those questions. Well, what is the observable cue, the behavior that needs to be changed? Because oftentimes it really is, it seems like a big deal. You need to change your character, but it really might be a very small skills gap, like just the ability to use downward inflections or the ability to speak more slowly and put more pauses in your conversation or keep your head level. It might be a really easy solution to what seems like a big problem. So much is writing on our communication. And if we can't get that message across, they're not going to hear it. They're not going to buy from us. We're not going to build that trust. So, so tell us if, if we could kind of synthesize this into a few action steps that people can take today to improve in these areas, what would you recommend, Carol? Well, first of all, I'd say be a, be a trailblazer in the medium of virtual communication because it is here to stay. So being doing whatever it takes to get yourself set up well so that you can present yourself literally in the best light so that your framing, your angle, your lighting is working for you. And then get an outside view of yourself so that you can be assured that you are coming across as you think you are coming across. Hmm. Very specifically, that would mean watch, watch your framing, make sure that you move the person you're speaking to, to close to the camera so your eye contact will look like it's, it's cohesive and that you're speaking with a strong voice. And then I would say make sure that you, after you've recorded yourself, watch for unconscious habits hmm. like too many filler words or that upward inflection quality that I was mentioning before. 
because those can undercut and derail your effectiveness and they're almost always unconscious habits. Right. Well, this is great, Kara. I'm glad that you've been here today. Tell us what you do in terms of your menu of offerings. And we're going to put some of these links you gave me on our show notes so that people can access those. But can I tell us what are the services that you offer? So if somebody wants to reach out to you, uh, they know exactly what you're capable of providing for them. Well, great. So we're just experts at identifying those nonverbal communication cues that either raise your status or lower your status. And we have live programs that we are now delivering both in person and virtually. But we also have some online programs that are self-directed. We have one that's called the Credibility Quest, which is a very robust program that's meant to be a practice vehicle so that you can take your skills from concept to actual unconsciously competent habits. And we also have some much leaner online programs for those, we say, for people in a hurry Mm -hmm, (laughs) who mm -hmm, want to better understand these concepts, but maybe want to do it as as quickly as possible in in micro lessons. So you can find all of those on our website at speechskills.com. And tell us about your book also. What's the name of your book and where can people get that? My book is called The Credibility Code. And it can be found on Amazon. You can get the online version as well as a hard copy version. And it essentially outlines these key behaviors that have a disproportionately positive impact on coming across with visible credibility. And to those people that are listening, I've read that book probably, I think maybe about nine months ago. It's fantastic. It's a solid resource. I'd highly recommend that. Kara, thank you for joining me on the podcast. We'll put all this information on our show notes. And I'm sure we'll be talking again real soon. Well, thanks, Scott. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com. Thank you.